Welcome to the Ready, Set, CEO podcast. I'm Melissa Froelich, and I'm deeply passionate about helping women create aligned and sustainable businesses. I'm so glad you're here because that means you are ready to start embracing your leadership role as the CEO of your business. Sustainable business growth starts inside ourselves. Stepping into our CEO role allows us to create strategy that is in alignment for us and our own individual and unique businesses. And when it happens, things finally start to feel right. So let's get started. Oh my goodness. Today's guest is such a treat. Marissa Milik is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and binge eating coach. Marissa works with individuals who struggle with their relationship with food and body image. She specializes in binge eating, and through her practice, she helps individuals break free from restrictive eating patterns and reclaim trust with their body to move towards a more compassionate approach to health and well-being. When she isn't working with clients, she enjoys spreading the anti-diet message on Instagram. You can find her at Binge Nutritionist and through her podcast, Behind the Binge. Marissa is an incredible human. She is a former client of mine. I have got to meet her in person and I can't wait for her to share her message and her unique approach to embracing her role as a CEO of her business. Okay. So excited today to have Marissa here and just really hear from her firsthand about her journey in building this incredible business. But most importantly, a business that not only creates incredible impact for her audience and her industry as a whole, she's truly a leader in what she does, but also supports her lifestyle. And I think that that's one of the things that I'm really, really hoping that she can paint a picture for everyone today of of how she's navigated that and continues to navigate that. Because I think we all want more of a business that not only feels good, but makes sense for our lives. And building from there and being able to sustain that. So before we dive in, Marissa, would you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll get into the fun part. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what a nice intro. (laughs) I appreciate all the kind words. So like Melissa said, my name is Marissa. I'm in South Carolina and I run a virtual private practice to support women who struggle with binge eating and help them become confident, intuitive eater. And I've had my virtual practice since, of course, 2020. And I do private coaching, group coaching, have an online course. And I just recently branched into a professional mentorship space. So I'm teaching other dietitians how to better support their clients with binge eating. And I love it. I live at home with my four pets and my boyfriend. So I generally say it's a zoo over here, but I love that I get to spend so much time at home with them. So yeah, that's sort of a little bit about me and my business. So great. And one of my favorite things is you're one of the people I've actually gotten to spend time with in person, which is such a treat. And just knowing how passionate you are about everything that you do. And so I kind of want to start there about the fact that you are by design, like a multi-passionate individual. And let's talk about how you've learned to embrace that. So take us back to when you first started business and kind of what that looked like and felt like in terms of probably a lot of the things you were taught that you had to do or you should do and how maybe some of that didn't feel right for you. And take us on the journey of like what it looks like today. 
Yeah, totally. Well, when I first started my business, I hired a business coach, not Melissa, and was working with someone with a very cookie cutter sort of approach. Like you do this and then you do this and then you do that. And I feel like right out the gate of knowing nothing about building a business, it was helpful for me to lay a foundation, but I really clung to that guidance as rules. So I found like as my business was growing or as I wanted to scale my business, I was having to unlearn a lot of what I was previously following because of the ways in which I wanted to pivot my business. And yes, I'm a very multi-passionate person. I'm a manifesting generator and I have ADHD. So I like a lot of things. I'm often jumping to the next shiny object. And sometimes that's for the best because that really was where I was feeling called to go with my business. But sometimes it's just because I want to get away from something in my business that hasn't been lighting me up as much. And so when I was moving away from sort of this cookie cutter approach to my business, like you have this model that goes into this and, you know, it's really simple, which can be good in a way. I was finding it really confusing to figure out what would best support my, my clients and my audience and what would also best support me as a human, because I'm a a multi-passionate person, but I burn out so easily. And I think one of the things me and Melissa talked about early on in our coaching was that I'm like a cat and I go, go, go. I get the zoomies and I have all this energy bouncing off the walls and then I sleep and then I rest. And that's really not on a day-to-day basis, but really throughout one day, I feel that way. Just even thinking about this morning, I had a couple clients and then I had an hour and a half where I did nothing. I a little bit thought about some creative things in my business, but if I would have just kept going and putting my head into all the emails I need to write today, I probably would have felt burnt out and all over the place for this interview. And so I feel like in being so multi-passionate, having all these different pillars of my business that I want to do and also that I do on a day-to-day basis, I had to learn how to make some of the traditional business model things work for me, my lifestyle and reduce some of the shame that I felt a lot about it as well. Like, you know, you see all these interviews of like, to be a a successful CEO, you have to wake up at 5am and do this, drink all the green juices and you're working so hard. And I was like, I get tired. And so I, yeah, I think a lot of my business has been about pivoting to find what works best for me, but also pivoting to find the ways in which different pieces of my business light me up. And that's not always very, I guess, traditional. So does that make sense? Just sort of the way. Absolutely. I I think it's so refreshing to hear. And I, I guarantee that there's a bunch of people listening and like nodding on the other side and being like, yes, this is how I feel because it is really hard. And especially when you're starting out, you want to get it right. And you just want to do the things, but you don't know how to have the duality of also looking at yourself as an individual and giving yourself permission to say this part of that feels good for me. And this not so much, right? Because who are you to make that determination? But the sooner we get into that place of like embracing who we are and how we do life. And then coupled with things like ADHD it's a very, very holistic approach. And then there's also seasons, right? Where maybe drinking green juice when you wake up in the morning for a week is really fun. But like, that doesn't mean that if you start this thing, you have to keep doing it. Otherwise you're bad. And so 
you teed this up perfectly for what I wanted to talk about next, which is the definition of success, right? Like how do you measure success in your business today? And how is that different from when you first started in terms of measuring success? Oh gosh, I think that it is always changing. It's always evolving. But I feel like when I first started my business, success was solely defined by money. Um, And I still think money is a part of my definition of success. But when it was my sole definition of success, I mean, business ebbs and flows. There are seasons in business. And so I would have a month that was a little bit less than where I was headed and it would crush me it would overwhelm me. It would make me panic and make decisions based just out of that fearful money mindset. And sometimes I think back to that and I'm like, I just need to take a deep breath and be like, it's okay to have a slow (laughs) moment in business. And sometimes that's just teeing you up for an even better month ahead. But I really did have to redefine what success meant to reduce the shame that I felt if I had a lower month or even the shame that I felt if I wasn't the girl waking up at 5 a.m. every morning and doing my morning affirmations and journaling my manifestations, right? While that helps me at times, sometimes I do just want to sleep in and start my day at 10 and, and kind of get things rolling on a slow start. And that's when I get my most creativity. And so I feel like to balance it all out, I try to keep success and feeling successful and fulfilled as a balance between obviously scaling my business, making enough money to sustain what I want and feeling fulfilled in making an impact, feeling the balance of work and life, more balance on the life side, honestly, than the work side. As much as I love my job, I'm not one of those people who is obsessed to a point where it's 24 seven. I want it to be work and that's work and then go off and hang out with my pets or go to breweries or travel the world, right? So I think success is also feeling the flexibility and freedom to log off and go travel, to go out for a weekend and not be on social media still trying to promote a program. So ultimately, I think that success is something that is about that balance altogether. Yeah, I think that that is really really important is like money is important and it's not the only thing. And then you mentioned, you know, if you have a month where you didn't necessarily hit your projection or your goal, also remembering it's not about the month, right? We can look at it in terms of quarters, look at it in terms of our annual revenue goal. So some of the stuff that we talked about a lot when when we were working together was you stepping further into that CEO role. And I think really honoring and appreciating all of the incredible things that you already had going for you. And so when you think about stepping into your CEO role and owning that piece, like that part of the identity, like what are some of the things that are highlighted for you in terms of that? What does it mean for you to embrace your CEO role? Such a good question. I think one of the first barriers I had to overcome in order to feel like I was stepping into that CEO role was my people-pleasing tendencies. Mm. I started to hire contractors. I even had my first RD employee and I'd get on calls with my VA and I'd be like, what do you think we should do? Or, you know, I'd ask questions about things that I would want want her to do. And I would always be like, does that sound like it would work for you? And while I think it's important to ask if you're overwhelming your employees and say, you know, do you feel like you have the capacity for this? I very much was taking on more and struggling to delegate at first because of those people pleasing tendencies. So I had to learn to step up and say, Hey, I need this. 
do you think you could get that to me by Friday? Or, hey, I'm looking for support with this. You want to hop on a call this afternoon and really leading that call instead of it being so open-ended. I think another big part of stepping into my CEO role was going with my gut intentionally. I would get these ideas or the, just be, I start, I would start to get pulled to do something, right? Like I all of a sudden started getting pulled to make a TikTok account that had nothing to do with my dietetic business. And I just kept seeing these signs to do it. And they were the, the hokey woo woo signs, but I saw them as signs that I kept seeing angel numbers on cars. I kept hearing people talk about it. I kept totally remember when you were voxering with me about this. I was like, yes, definitely. This is something. Yeah. I sent you like three license plates. I saw in one day, one was like 1111, one was 444 and one was 888. I was like, something is telling me something. And all I kept thinking about was creating this TikTok and not even as a revenue generation, which is where I think another definition of success lies, which is that if I'm not feeling fulfilled and creative and and just excited about something and it's making me money, is that even really success if it's Mm -hmm. draining me? So I started to get this spark to go to TikTok and it was in my gut. I really felt like doing it. So I, one day I was like, you know what, let's just do it. Let's try to post like at least once a week, just about home decor or organization or cleaning, like really whatever my heart desires. And I started posting and over time, it kind of started to pivot to ADHD centered content, kind of comedy content around what it's like to have ADHD cleaning organization, ADHD tips. And I mean, I started it in what January or February, and now I have like 74,000 followers on that account and it's April. And so I think by me following my gut on that, I was able to build a platform about something totally irrelevant to my business that yeah, totally could end up making me money in some way, especially if I lean into it a little bit more. That felt like a CEO move, even though it wasn't revenue generating or isn't yet, because I made the decision of, hey, I'm going to spend some time on this because I have this gut feeling of doing it. Even though, you know, some people may say like, don't get distracted by these side projects or like, you know, you need to stay focused on your business and like the revenue generation or focus on one social media platform so you don't spread yourself too thin. It's like, I kind of needed that other outlet in order to keep my creativity going. And so I kind of see that as a big quote unquote CEO decision that I made that really didn't have much to do with my business. But even some of the stuff that I've learned from doing that TikTok for fun has funneled back into the way I express my creativity in my business. So it's a win-win on both ends of the spectrum there. Totally. And I think that, you know, you mentioned a couple of things here that are really, really important about your specific design, right? As you were sharing that piece, which I would say is, you know, stepping into your leadership role, learning to own the decision-making process, but you had that people-pleasing tendency, which I definitely have, lots of us have, but that can really show up if we have an open ego center, which you do on your chart. I also have that, but realizing that a lot of that is conditioning, knowing to trust ourselves more and that we already have what it takes to be able to lead and step up and, Anyway, just so interesting to watch like firsthand your evolution of the awareness, right? You had the awareness and then you're starting to notice. And then what was the difference and why like you're such a dream client is then you implemented the change, right? Change your habits around it instead of continuing to show up to calls and ask for permission from your team. Like, oh, I actually want to lead this more and I want to trust myself more. And it's like, it becomes 
on autopilot as you start to implement these changes based on the awareness. And so that for me was like so, so cool to watch. And then also honoring the fact that you are creative. And if we take that away from you, I mean, you're an Enneagram four as well. I remember when we started talking about that, like, oh, okay, wow. I don't have a lot of fours that are in my world, but you're definitely a four as the more that I got to know you. And so if we took away your ability to be creative, like we're depleting your zest and your efficacy for the change that you can make throughout your other work, right? So it's like allowing yourself to pour into this TikTok for fun or to do this project or to do some of your interior decorating stuff where you go out and find a vintage piece of furniture and then share on your story, should I paint this black or white? And like, that has nothing to do specifically with the transformations you're making with people in terms of their binge eating, but it's you and it's your personality. And so allowing yourself to feel empowered and lead from your authentic self, it did nothing but like blossom you into a greater version of your CEO self. So I want to highlight all of that because if you're listening to this and you're somebody who is also multi-passionate and you're downplaying that and keeping that quiet because you're afraid that people might wonder what does this have to do with your business? I challenge you to say that it's probably quite the opposite. People are going to love it. And I mean, I would love for you to weigh in on that. Like, what does your audience think when they get to see like parts of you that, I mean, yesterday I was addicted to your pet stories. I mean, so I know how I feel, but like, what does it look like big picture? The more you've allowed the real Marissa to show up. Yeah. I think that it's allowed a deeper sense of community within the people that I work with, which I think can only help both in the side of business development, but in making client transformations. And yeah, when I shared all about my story of how I got all of my pets yesterday, (laughs) I got so many DMs of people being like, oh, your dog looks like mine. Or like, oh, what's your cat's name? Oh, I loved hearing about this. Mm -hmm. And I think it just deepens the connection, even in a virtual sense with those that follow me. And it helps you to stand out as an individual. I will say even thinking about stepping into my CEO role, I was thinking about how for so long I was stuck in comparison of what other people were doing, right? I'd be like, oh, well, they're doing this. Like I should do that. I mean, I was constantly stalking people on social media within my niche and being like, oh, I need to be doing what they're doing. But I feel like I was, I've been able to step into my own CEO role by being like, what they're doing is what they're doing. And while I can take inspiration, it needs to align with my own practice and my own individuality when it comes to how it actually applies within my own, my own business practices. So Stepping into my CEO role also meant getting out of that comparison, which I think allows me to show up more authentically online, which generates more of that connection to the community that I serve. Totally. So was it scary to show more of your real self when you look back? Because I'm I'm sure there's people listening like, yeah, but I could never do that. Like, I, I don't know how to do that. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. Like the fears around it? Definitely. I think 50-50 because part of me deep down authentically, I'm an open book. I could meet someone five minutes ago and I will tell them anything they want to know about me. I am frequently saying, okay, this might be TMI, but, and I'll share something that's very TMI with someone. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm such an open book and I'm a talker and I'm comfortable doing that online until the little voice in my head comes up that goes, be professional, show up, looking Mm. like a professional, right? Like if you share your personal life, that doesn't pose you as an authority in this matter, right? Which I think is is sort of how 
not that I was raised, but like going through my traditional dietetic training, you are a professional, you're a nutrition expert, and you're going to the hospital and you're wearing a white coat and you're in that sort of professional setting. But my setting is so different from that. And so I think that being able to share more online of who I am and being more personal, part of that is part of me, but part of that came from me getting out of my comfort zone of needing to look right and needing to look professional and realizing that just because I show that I'm a human being and just because I show up on social media and my sweats doesn't make me any better or worse at helping people with their binge eating. And so I think that was the scariest part was still that comparison of like, what will people think? Will people see this and think that I'm immature or that I'm oversharing since I'm a professional, uh, when in reality, I think it only gives the right people a better sense of connection to who I am. Sure. Some people might see me and be like, that's unprofessional for you to be oversharing as a, a nutrition professional, but that's not how I run my practice anyway. Yeah. I love that. Like be authentically yourself, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be in a way that feels uncomfortable. I mean, there's gotta be a little bit of discomfort anytime we do anything new, but there's also a lot of programming that has happened over our lives. Just like you said, there's this whole be professional. You're in a professional setting. Well, what does that actually even mean? Right. And deconstructing that and giving yourself permission to trust yourself more. I think it really, it comes down to that, which is, it sounds easy when I say that, but I also think that it's important to lean into that and say, Mm -hmm. where am I staying safe based on beliefs that maybe aren't even truly my own? They were projected on me from lots and lots of different paths previously. Yeah. An example of that, that I was just thinking of, even just looking at our camera view here on zoom is that when I was first starting my practice, my mom is lovely, but she's a doctor. And when they were transitioning to telehealth, she was like, when you do your sessions, make sure there's nothing in the background, make sure it's really clean. You don't want to distract people. It should look professional. And so I got that really in my head. So I used to sit in front of a blank wall because I thought that's what it should look like. Mm. And over time, I realized my design and, and style of my space is eccentric and it's also inclusive. I share things on my walls and on my bookshelves that will hopefully make people feel warm and seen and I don't need to hide that on my calls. And so over time, I felt a lot more comfortable actually designing my office space to look like me and how I want my practice to be represented rather than feeling like I needed to fit in this clean box of like, I need to be sitting in front of a blank white wall. So, so good. I know. And really what she probably meant was don't have your dirty laundry strung all over the back, but we take (laughs) strange extremes, right? In terms of, okay, I've got to get this so perfect that we almost miss the mark, which I can't tell you how many people I have seen with their dirty laundry in the back, but that's a whole nother story. So tell us a little bit, because I think that one thing that's, you know, unique to you is how much you've mastered audience growth with social media. You mentioned TikTok, but even looking on Instagram, like today you have 117,000 followers. Like that's impressive, but that didn't come by accident. That didn't come by buying followers. Like those are, that's authentic growth. And so what are some tips that you have for people who just feel like they don't even know where to start or how can I make my efforts on social media more fruitful? Like what are some of your like secret weapon Marissa tips? funny. We were just talking about sharing more about your personal life and being authentic on social media, because I do think that's sort of a secret weapon is that 
people want to follow you because they want to follow you as an individual. And so showing up on social media with your face, with your voice, with your life alongside tips and and infographics that you want to share for others, I think is a really valuable tool. I also know that when I was first starting on social media, I got into this mindset of act as if you already have the 100,000 followers, right? I had 200 followers and I was like, I'm going to show up on social media as if thousands of people are watching me because I think it does give you a little bit more confidence and validation knowing, hey, there's all these people who who follow me. And so that's validating that what I'm doing is, is good and valuable. So I'm going to keep showing up. But if you don't have that yet, how do you get there? Well, act as if you have it. And then you just continue to get feedback and validation from there. So with any social media that I've started, like my TikTok or Instagram, when I was just starting, I, I always just post as if I have a hundred thousand people waiting for me to post my next thing. And I think that that was more of a mindset shift that I think did everything for my growth. I also think it's important to look at what works and repeat it. Um, that's sort of more of like a very logistical, tangible tip, but I would post something and maybe that one post would do well than all my other posts. And it wasn't a fluke. It would be like, okay, that went well. How can I do that again? And early on in Instagram, I used to post basically the same things over and over and over again, week after week, because they were working. So I could tweak it a little bit here and there, a little bit, the topic would change or a little bit, the graphic would change, but it would basically be the same overarching message and then it would do well again. And so that's a big tip is to rinse and repeat, keep doing the same thing and refining it because if it works, it works. And we don't need to always be reinventing the Mm. wheel on social media. So valuable because I think we overcomplicate it, right? Like, oh, there must be some secret formula. There must be some secret framework, but two things. One, you started before you were famous. You started before you were ready and you acted as if you were, had already become somebody that was incredibly visible. So what you didn't do was stay silent. You didn't do nothing. Like that's really, really important. And then look at the data, right? What is working? And the data is not going to say that nothing's working. If you take action, there will be something that's working a little bit better than all the rest. But the key to all of this is to, to start. And so I love that. I love that. I love that. And the whole concept of acting as if, I mean, we do that with money mindset. We do that with how we see ourselves, you know, as having expertise in a subject, we have to believe it and embrace it and then act as if we already have that present. So I promise I did not tee that up beforehand. Like that was all (laughs) organic. It was so good. Tell us a little bit about what your business model looks like today and what you're doing and what's really, really lighting you up. I mean, you've tried a lot of different things, but I feel like you're really in this place where you've found your stride and talk to us a little bit about, because I I want you to talk about kind of the mix of the audiences at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, my business is primarily focused on supporting those with binge eating. And so I have private coaching for that. I have a course for that. I have group coaching, but then most recently I expanded to supporting other professionals, mostly dietitians who have clients who struggle with binge eating. So with the help of Melissa, I created a six-week coaching program called the Behind the Binge Mentorship Group. 
And in that, I get to teach other professionals how to better support their clients who struggle with binge eating and body image through six weeks of live training and and coaching and case study. And that was brand new for me this year. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome in starting it. But when I ran my first group, I realized I really love teaching in that capacity. And so that's been really lighting me up is how do I get in front of more professionals? How do I support more professionals? So that way, collectively, we can all help more people with binge eating, but I don't necessarily have to be the one seeing all the clients. And so, yeah, being able to support other dietitians, other professionals who have the same passions as me has been really rewarding. And I didn't exactly plan this when thinking about building my business right out the gate. And so I'm glad it's something that I I stepped into this year and I'm excited to continue expanding on that. Yeah. I am so proud of you. I'm so excited to like have seen it come to fruition. And I think this goes back to really embracing what lights you up. What would be fun? How do I have more fun with this? And of course, there's going to be imposter syndrome, especially when we're doing something where we're teaching our peers. And one of the things I want to call out about this as well is that you are such a collaborative person. Like you're thinking about this for the the greater good. How do we make a greater impact on as many people as possible? And like, I'm one person and I can only do this for so many people, but instead of taking all of the awesomeness that you have acquired and accumulated through your hard work and your investments and keeping it like locked up, it's like, how do I share this? And so that's true leadership and really, really want to just kind of brag on you for that because we need more of that in the world. And I, I encourage anybody who's listening to this and thinking about like your own business model and how can you help other people who may be parallel to you, right? In terms of sharing your knowledge and expertise to make a greater impact if that's something that's important. But it really all comes back to what's important to you. What are your values? What drives you? What motivates you? And Marissa has kindly like said a couple of times with, with my help, but really I was, I was here on this journey to support and facilitate what already existed inside of her. This was not because of anything that I taught her, right? All of this knowledge, all of this capability, it was already there. It was more of having that accountability that I think support where somebody else can say, and these are your natural strengths and talents. So how do we honor that more? So that's something you've done really well throughout your business journey is continue to invest in yourself. And I know that you're doing that right now and you continue to do that. So talk a little bit about that, about how like that's kind of, that kind of seems like a non-negotiable for you. Like you continue to make sure that you have support in different areas of your business. So share a little bit about where that motivation comes from and and how you decide what you're going to invest in? That's a, a really great question. Well, I think first and foremost, it's just so helpful to have another brain. Like two brains are better than one. So being able to bounce ideas off of another person, whether it's just another colleague, a friend, or hiring a business coach, I think really is invaluable. I have a group of dietitians that we sometimes will be like, hey, I'm stuck. Let's get on Zoom. And we all get on Zoom and just bounce ideas off of each other, send voice memos to each other. And and that is so, so helpful when it comes to just processing the thoughts you have in mind about where you want to go in business. And then when it comes to investing in like hiring someone or getting support in other areas, I think it always comes back down to what doesn't light me up, maybe what drains my battery. So for example, emails, emails are the vein of my existence. I'm really (laughs) awful with them. 
And so over time with my virtual assistant, who's been helping me with the tech side of things, I finally was like, can you please take over my inbox? And while it's my personal inbox that I have to reply to a lot of emails for, she categorizes them like, Hey, this is the priority that you need to look at right now. Here's something you need to follow up with. And she tags them all for me and keeps it clean of all the just, you know, rambly different things that I get in my inbox. And that's been so, so helpful and took such a big weight off my shoulders for every time I look at my inbox, I no longer feel impeding doom, but I'm like, oh, this is manageable. And so I think that I, I tend to invest in hiring people when either there's an, an area of expertise that I just, I'm, it's going to take me triple the amount of time to figure out, like setting up my uh, website, or if there's just something that drains my battery, even if it's the ba- most basic of tasks, if that drains my battery, then that's going to drain my energy from the things that do light me up and the things that would make a bigger impact. And so I'll, I'll gladly hire out those types of things so I can spend more of my energy on the things that matter. So good. So there were so many things that we covered today that were fabulous and amazing. And I am so grateful for your time. And I encourage everybody who's listening to go follow Marissa. You will be entertained. You will learn lots. She is absolutely incredible. But before we wrap up, if there was one thing that you could share as a piece of advice for somebody who needs to step into their CEO role more, or doesn't know even what that means or where to start, what would it be? Ooh, that's a really great question. I think the act as if advice, even with social media applies to these other areas of your life. So if you envision or or write down what it means to be a CEO to you or what it would mean if you stepped into that role, write that down and then act as if you have that. I remember there was a period of time that I was in a a funk with the money mindset Mm -hmm. and I found this money mindset Spotify playlist that was just music that really were like songs of affirmation around money. And so I was like, if I'm going to start acting as if I I have the financial freedom I'm craving, then let's start stepping into that. Let's play this music. Let's speak these words and, and let's try to start creating that for myself, or at least the mindset of that for myself. So yeah, I think just figuring out what it is that defines a CEO to you and then working to do things that that align with that. So you're really acting as if you're already, you're already there. Mm. Love that. So spot on. So good. I'm going to need that playlist. I think we can all <laughs> send it that. to you. <laughs> you're so good with the playlist. Like if I have to picture you in my mind's eye right now, it's like with your headphones on, like racking out with no I shoes. always have music playing. It's like so good for me. I don't know if it's an ADHD thing or what, but Music can just, I can be in the worst mood. I'll play a good song and I'm dancing around in the best mood. So it does a lot for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So where can people connect with you if they want to truly find out about working with you? Because I know that there's going to be somebody listening that's like, oh, I think I actually need support with binge eating, or I know somebody who needs Marissa's support. So what is the best place? I think it's Instagram, but I feel like I need to ask this for sure. Yeah, definitely. Instagram is like the most personal way to get in touch with me. Um, it's binge.nutritionist on Instagram. You can also find me on my website, which is behind the binge.com. Um, but from either of those platforms, you can pretty much branch off and, and find me anywhere. Fabulous. Okay. We will have all the links in the show notes as well. 
Marissa, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. I adore you. All right. Thanks for having me. This was great. Absolutely. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast episode. It was truly a pleasure to spend time with you. If you're not already part of our free community on Facebook, please join me inside of the Uplevel Lounge. You can also check out melissafrolick.com or follow along on Instagram, melissafrolick underscore biz to find out the most current ways that I can support you in stepping further into your CEO role right now.